Hello, my name is Benjamin Gu, and I am the founder and president of Coffee with a Christian. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Before we get started today, I just wanted to give a brief shout out to the Stoller Foundation. This amazing organization was started by Jerry Stoller. Jerry was able to revolutionize the agriculture industry by finding ways to help good things grow. That's why the foundation he started incubates and accelerates nonprofits that are focused on evangelism and volunteerism in order to serve as a launchpad for nonprofits with innovative and creative ideas to address the needs of community with the love of Christ. Learn more at StollerFoundation.org. For this month's podcast, I'd like to present you with a brief conversation that I had with an elderly gentleman that I met doing outreach here in Richmond, Virginia, just a few months ago. He's been retired for a few years and be using a lot of his free time to do outreach in the Richmond area. I just sat down with him to get his thoughts regarding some of the various types of outreach that he has done before and his passion for this work. Also, content warning, Bill does outreach at some of the Planned Parenthood abortion clinics in the area, and we talk about it. We don't go into anything too graphic, but I did want to just put this quick warning out there. And finally, before we get started, Coffee with a Christian, the app, and this show are a bit of an experiment. And so for this episode, I'm experimenting. There was a lot that Bill wanted to talk about, and I really enjoyed the conversation. So I just let it go long for like two hours. Now, if you're like me, this just doesn't bother you. Throw it on while you're cooking dinner, stuck in traffic, doing dishes, going a walk, or whatever. But if this is too long for you, just adjust the speed on your podcast player to one and a half speed. We don't talk that fast, and it should be fine. All that said, let's get on with the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yes, I've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years. I've been in a lot of different types of Christian uh, denominations. Uh, So where did you grow up? Jacksonville, Florida, until I was about 55. I had a... A son that had a, one of my granddaughters here. So it was my wife and myself. The rest of our life circumstances were such that it was, you know, practically speaking, easy to do, you know, to relocate. What was Jacksonville, Florida like for you? Were you born and raised there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lived there all my life, except, you know, time away at uh, University of Florida. So I, I did two bachelor degrees, so I was down there for, you know, almost eight years, two sessions. Did you uh, meet your wife down there as well? Yeah, of course, yeah. She was a telephone operator, which may be a... <laughs> I met her at, at a party. I was, I guess I was in my junior year getting a, a degree in uh, zoology. I was anticipating being drafted for the Vietnam War when I would have graduated. Well, I I went back to school the second time so I could, you know, make a decent living. All I had was my bachelor's degree in the beginning and I had done different stuff, nothing that paid very well. I, you know, I tried several different things. And then, uh, yeah, it was simple economic necessity that drove me back back to school. Hmm. Uh, It worked out real real well though, you know, economically. What did you end up working as uh, primarily for your career? Retail pharmacists, the big chain pharmacies, you know, mm. like Kroger and CVS. Okay. I worked for several, several different ones. You've retired mm-hmm. and moved to Richmond? Yeah. And well, I, Yeah, I, I worked up here. Oh, we, you did? Yeah, we, so I, I retired in 2011. So I, I worked here for uh, over 10 years, about. Meanwhile, you're up in the Richmond area, you're starting to get involved in outreach. What got you involved in yeah. outreach? 
let's see, over my 40 years in the, you know, in the faith, I did periodic outreach kinds of things. For about 20 years, I, I was, uh, most of my energy was involved in, you, you would say, church leadership, you know, being a, an elder or a deacon and uh, different churches. And so, the, you know, outreach was a small part. I think most Christians do something here and there. And five or six years ago, I got fully involved in, in outreach uh, as opposed to doing anything in church government. And, you know, not, not, not a ha- being retired and uh, deciding that my time was up trying to help govern the body of Christ. <laughs> you know, doing outreach... Well, I, I felt I just felt a, my last season as a, as an elder in a church. I just felt a growing need to do something real that real outreach, you know. And it was just a growing. It wasn't. It wasn't. I don't think it was because I was dissatisfied being a leader. Uh, you know that helped propel my motivation to go do something. To go mm-hmm. do something. You know, I didn't know what, but. Part of it was my age, so at the time I would have been, you know, pushing 70. I said to myself, if you're going to do something, you better get up and do. <laughs> so I felt, I felt compelled to do something. You know, the Ephesians said God created us for those good works that he's prepared. And, I, you know, is it possible to, uh, to miss it? You know, I, I don't know. He's prepared them. Uh, I felt just a growing, growing need to do something. So it began, it began with visiting the abortion clinics, which is something that, that, that we had tasted of way back in the 80s. My involvement on the sidewalk of abortion clinics didn't happen, you know, until this during my re- retirement, except for a, a short time in the 80s. And so I knew a teeny bit about that. And so I, I think that was my, my first outreach in this season. Uh, and, that, and so from that, I, I ended up volunteering at a pregnancy resource center, used to be called Pregnancy Crisis Center, as a volunteer wanting to talk to the men that fathered these babies' unexpected pregnancies. And that was really good. About, that lasted about three years. But while I was there, I met Dave, who invited me to go to VCU. He was accustomed to going to college campuses and doing outreach. And that just sounded like a great idea. And I had never never been on a college campus doing outreach it was a god thing cuz it just seemed like yeah and we did it we, so that we started that 4 years ago roughly and then he was responsible for us being involved in other things in the city of Richmond like you know going to a 10k race or a marathon race to try to talk to the people there or the uh, Easter parade in Richmond it's easy to talk to people the Richmond Easter parade is a very it's very secular, but everybody knows it's Easter. <laughs> and so, and everybody's there to have a, a good time. So the attitude of your prospects is, is really good. You know, they're relaxed. They're not wanting to think about their usual life. They're out there to relax. Yeah. And so they're easy to approach. Two and a half years ago, I have a son who was inspired by somebody he saw on Facebook to feed some of the homeless downtown. He does it once a week, and we we were involved in that for two years. Every every Sunday after church, we would you know help feed the homeless and try to evangelize them or encourage the Christians. 
that's another easy to do, more easy than maybe anything, because these people are generally grateful and easy to talk to. They'll, they'll let you talk to them because, you know, they feel this, a little obligation to listen. Most of them, not all. Not all. When you go out, you, you don't go out with the intention of making people feel bad. You're there because you want to get to know them. You wanna... Yeah. And these guys believe that. They suspect other motives. But yeah. it's easy to win, win their favor and their, you know, their trust because you go there without ulterior motives. And that, that's a, one of the most wonderful aspects of uh, my season of serious, you, you could call it full-time outreach. You know, for me, it's full-time. It involves 20 hours a week, if you include drive time, you know, going and coming and time on the street. And anyway, so, so I, I, I call it full-time. Maybe even more than that, if you consider the amount of time you spend putting into learning apologetics. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, it's just a, a personality trait of mine is to kind of focus on one thing. You know, so some people are, are built to be visionaries. And, I, you know, as a pharmacist for 40 years, you know, that was the right thing for me because I'm the personality type that went one way that describes it is, you know, I like to have a rut to run in. <laughs> you know, my wiring is to be steady. Because you can be safe if you know what's, which sounds contradictory to all this outreach, which testifies to the fact that God is in it more than I realize, you know, because my natural bent is to stay in a rut where everything's safe and everything's predictable. I mean, that's what pharmacy is. The life of the retail pharmacist is such that for many people, it, you know, it would drive them nuts. You know, you're in the same spot every day for 40 <laughs> years doing the same thing. You know, things happen yeah. that make it interesting. However, it's you know very much a rut, very, very much. It's, it's funny because in some professions, for me, like the IT profession, the goal is to create a rut for a lot of companies. For other people to use. For other people to use. That's yeah. right. You don't, you don't want to be in it. Well, here's the thing. Working in IT for 10 years, I would have killed for a boring day. The best days were the boring days. Really? How often do you want to worry about your pen not working? Or how often do you want to worry about your printer not working? Or your computer not working? You don't want to think about your car being broken. You just want your car to work. Computer information technology can be so finicky that a lot of companies have to hire people on staff full-time to make sure that things just work. So that the guys who are trying to do the brain work don't have to waste time Trying to fix their own computer. Fixing that. Stuff. Yeah. If you're, if you're doing legal work, right, and you're worried about your motion getting before a judge by a certain deadline, how much do you want to worry about your computer? You know, it's like, no, you, you don't want to you don't want to deal with that. The computer should just be should just work. You don't want to complicate it. Same thing goes for a lot of work. How many days in a row can you put up with your computer being on the fritz? <laughs> Maybe 24 hours, you know, before you're like... Yeah. Pulling your hair out. Maddening. Yeah. yeah. When you're a plumber, the only ceiling. No one calls you because their pipes are working well. <laughs> yeah. When you're in IT, no one no one's calling you because the computer is doing a fantastic job. It's uh it's always a problem. Yeah, that's that's why they pay you to do the work. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if it was fun, you'd do it for free. Well, if it was fun, I'd have to pay to do it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you mentioned the, um, the Planned Parenthood 
yeah. uh, outreach that you're doing. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, why get involved in that? And I ask mm. this because I, I listen to NPR a lot. Uh, I love This American Life. It's a, it's a great show. And I've probably been listening to it for eight or nine years. NPR? Yeah. And I have never, not once ever, heard the pro-life position on that program. And I've heard plenty of pro-choice positions mm. on that program many times. Same thing goes for a lot of different, let's say, news media outlets that claim to be unbiased. Oddly enough, you know, the polling on this is it's anywhere from 45 to 55% of the population kind of thinks that abortion is not a good thing. And so if this is a fair and balanced approach, you'd expect to hear both sides of it. Yeah. So um, you having done this type of, type of outreach fairly consistently for a number of years, I'm wondering if maybe you can explain why you do it, why you believe the things that you believe, what motivates you. A couple of interesting things. So when you decide you, you know, you're a Christian and and you realize you're supposed to be doing hands-on stuff that is kingdom work that impacts eternity. So that that's the real good descriptive of, of my thinking. When I say I got to go do something, what I mean is I got to do something that might really impact eternity. You know, you, you could argue that all of life impacts eternity, and it does. You know, most people think that abortion should be limited some, greater or lesser. You know, later in the in the nine months, I forget the exact number, but the vast majority think pro-choice people included. You know. Most of them don't want it to be available right up through the end. Without being really fully educated, they realize the horror of taking a mature baby in the womb and butchering it. But just just from the scientific point of view, it, it, I think it's fair to say that science demonstrates that life begins at conception. That used to be a big debate between the pro-choice, pro-life guys. But if you if you debate with the pro-choice people, they seldom will bring that up. You know, they openly admitted, you know, the, the ones very active will admit that it's destroying a human being. And so... Uh, and then the argument behind it, the, the most basic one that I've heard is... We can agree that at nine months, you know, it, it's got its own heartbeat, fingernails, developed brain, circulatory system, yeah, every, all that stuff, everything. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's got a unique DNA sequence. Okay, fine, nine months, eight months. That's right. Pretty That's much. The, take it back one, you know, ideally take it back one day at a time. It's obvious that you're never going to reach a point where there's a big difference. Yeah. Ever. So, you know, if you take it one day at a time, you know, there is no uh, flash of creation, flash of anything that defines a difference. You, can go, you know, and you go all the way back to when there is fertilization. And do you, do you know it? At fertilization, they actually know now that there's, there's actually a, a burst of light that happens from the, the fertilization. Tech, you know, modern science technology is so sophisticated that they... There's a burst of light from, in, 
when creation happens, <laughs> which is fun. But I don't know what it proves. But, you know, if life begins at conception, well, it doesn't seem so bad if you take the morning after pill and whatever is in the womb is not too many cells. It doesn't seem bad because, you know, your your mind goes to the image of the physical reality. Yeah. But if, if you agree that human beings begin at, at conception, that primitive embryo is precious. And most people don't you know, realize that at 21 days there is a heartbeat. You don't have a heart with four chambers ready to pump blood, but you have heart muscle that is beating at, at 21 days. And no, no baby with well, a morning after pill interrupts before then. But every the abortion pill and every surgical abortion is you know is way beyond that. Is there a difference between an abortion pill and the the day after the morning after pill? Yeah, yeah, chem, they're different chemicals, and the you know the morning after pill is not going to be effective as far into the pregnancy. The uh, abortion pill. It's approved officially by the FDA up to at least 10 weeks now. They, they've stretched it out, and I'm not sure. And uh, it's, it's sometimes used a few weeks beyond that with more risk to the, to the mom. Yeah, when I was a pharmacist and I was concerned about this, I actually found a doctor online that interacted freely with his medical students. And I sent him a question. I don't know. I think I told him who I was and what I was. But he, he was good, and, you know, and I asked him if, uh, if the morning after pill uh, worked by preventing Im implantation. And he said, sometimes. And, you know, because I thought if it does, then it's a problem. And he said, this was back in the, hmm. probably the 80s. He said, uh, that is how it works. The truth is, that's one way it works, and it may be the primary way. He was pro-life as far as abortion, but he didn't feel. There's, you know, there's a couple of different chemicals. So you have a pregnancy. The first one, it works by disrupting the normal chemistry. So you know, when you when a woman gets pregnant, you know, the a lot of chemistry changes, and the uh, abortion pill. Uh, steps in and radically alters biochemistry so that the normal things that nurture pregnancy are just, you know, reversed. The uh, baby, the embryo, is not able to hang on. And then there's a second pill the woman takes that, you know, causes the body to expel it, to help it. I don't know if they say it induces labor, but it's like that, you know, it, stimulate some contractions and so it's you know it's it's uh, the abortion pill is is a chemical interruption of normal physiology so that the, the body cannot maintain a, a pregnancy some people are uh, immediately concerned when they understand how these things work you know as a pharmacist i, I would always if i got a prescription for a, a morning after pill i would i would say to the to the uh the woman, I'm just simply giving her her prescription back. I'm I'm not comfortable filling your prescription, and I was thinking, rightly so, that she'll she'll go next door and have it filled. 
and there's nothing I could do about it. And, but I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to participate in, uh, you know, in the process. And, uh, you, usually what would happen is that, you know, she would do that. She would go down the street, go elsewhere and get her, because most pharmacists did not bother. There were a lot of pro-life pharmacists, but the majority were, uh, even if they were sympathetic, would, you know, would not do that. So I, I did that in my career for at least 20 of the 40 years. I'm, you know, I'm not sure when it began. One woman actually, she said, thank you. You know, she didn't realize, oh, oh she asked me why. Why, 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 why aren't you uncomfortable? Why are you uncomfortable filling my prescription? And I told her because sometimes it, like an abortion, it causes forming uh, embryo to to be expelled. And she was happy that I told her that because that being true, she she was glad she knew it. She didn't realize that. I don't know what she thought happened, but she actually thanked me. She really she was kind, and that that was one time out of you know my whole career. Usually they would just leave. And sometimes they got upset and sometimes I got cussed out, you know, by doctors and, and my uh, store manager once and my, my boss talked to me more than once about it, but you know, they were tactful of course. And in those days they uh, did not really try to pressure me into filling those. They respected my right to uh, refuse. I, the last time I talked to my supervisor about the problem, he told me, but they had discovered that, it, you know, it didn't, it never used that mechanism. You know, it never worked like that, causing the body to prevent implantation. He was lying. Now, I didn't argue with him. So I, I, I did suffer some persecution over, over that issue. Not great persecution, but, you know, there are a lot of people that would like to hurt people that do sidewalk counseling. I think the risk statistically is not that great, but it's real, it's significant, and that's always been true. The motivation is just the overwhelming statistical picture. You know, since R.V. Wade, roughly speaking, you know, a million babies in America, and on the globe, 40 million every year. You know, in America, a million human beings snuffed out. It's like, you know, there's all kinds of evil in the world and you, you, you can't fix everything. But this one is gigantic. And not only is it gigantic, you know, the church is aware of it and does nothing when it comes to who's going to go you know, stand on the sidewalk and be there, you know, for the sake of this little one you know in the bible god says the father i'm the father of the fatherless and i'm going to defend them so you know god owns these kids i mean he made everything he made the kids but he says i'm the father of the fatherless and when a dad says you know we got to get rid of this child i think it's fair to say the child has no father then you know the man wants to kill it that's not his father maybe biologically, but God says, I'm the father of the fatherless. So it's the heart of God, you know, and, and Proverbs is a real biting charge from God for God's people to rescue those being led away to slaughter.
You know, he said he warns. He says, "Don't don't say you didn't know about it. I know what you know. <laughs> you know. Don't let that happen. That's anybody being led away to slaughter. So a million babies in the country, and it's you know it's out of convenience. It's mainly because of sin. You know, could be a, a married couple that got pregnant by mistake. Most of the people that go to abortion clinics are not married. I, I don't know what the numbers are. God is very specific in my mind. He loves children with a special passion. You know, the words of Christ in the, the Old Testament Proverbs and the whole Bible communicates God's heart for little ones. All kinds of scriptures run through my, my mind. There are so many verses in the Bible about God's heart for children that my wife and I, when our boys were older teenagers and doing well, we thought we were great parents. We said to ourselves, Suddenly, the Bible's testimony about God's heart for children just would not give us any rest. You know, every time we opened the Bible, we saw, we saw it. I mean, that's how ubiquitous it is. And so we adopted a couple of special needs kids for that reason, because that's the heart of God. You know, children, Jesus, you know, don't prevent the children from coming to me. And the warning, he said, you know, they're... Their angels are ever beholding the face of my father in heaven, these little ones. You know, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think I, I understand the bottom line. You know, children have a special place in God's heart. So it's not just another human being being unjustly executed. They're children and, and babies in the womb are the, the most innocent. You know, in a real sense, they're totally innocent. You know, it's horrible what happens to adults and children in the world in places of war or any kind of persecution, abuse. But the one in the womb, it's even, it's even worse. On the abortion sidewalk, if you, or, or any, anywhere, if you meet people and talk about the, the debate, pro-life, pro-choice, and you talk to pro-choice people, uh, the majority of them don't don't have a good, clear picture of what happens when an abortion happens. Aside from the pill, you know, the next thing is to suck it out. And then, you know, the further along the pregnancy, the more, arguably, the more horrible the procedure is. But if you're, if you can get people to listen to a description of what really happens, a lot of times they'll say... Having been pro-choice, they'll say, oh, that, that should never happen to a human being. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a, lot, and a lot of Christians give money to pro-life causes, and that's good. You know, there, there is, I don't know what the numbers are, but the church does a lot there. Hmm. But every Christian has heard a preacher try to put that in perspective. The issue of giving, writing a check, every Christian has heard a sermon that has talked about you know, you do good to write checks, but what God wants is you. He wants your heart. <laughs> he doesn't need your money. You know, they're not trying to say quit giving, but what they're saying is tithing or giving to pro-life causes, it's a good thing. But, you know, it's it's a chicken feed that God wants. He wants real commitment. He wants real action, and it it really doesn't count for that much. Real, real skin in the game. He wants real skin in the game. You know, Jesus is so extreme. He says, so you think it's going to cost you your life? Big deal. You know, fear God. 
don't worry about it. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus is not talking hyperbole. He, he is talking something that most of us never have to do hmm. uh, if you read it as being martyred. But, you know, giving your life up to doing the heart of God is, you know, it's giving away the right to spend your time doing things that are more fun. You know, the picture of the challenge, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to be a, you're going to be a missionary to some Muslims where you might get killed or, you know, you're going to serve in the church in, in an important position that is necessary and good. Or, you know, and you can list all the options that every Christian has, and there are jillions of them. But, you know, when I look across the board, you know, some things you can't do, arguably, for whatever reason. Uh, this is something that most Christians really could do, at least on paper. Tell me about the most meaningful interaction you've had at this outreach. Uh, I've, I've read about things that happen with what I consider my real heroes that do this and, and do a lot more than I do. Uh, they make almost all, they make all of my stories seem, you know, beginner stuff. However, <laughs> the thing is God is in it and little things happen that are probably really big, like just this past Monday, yesterday. So there was a car that pulled into an abortion clinic early in the morning a little after seven o'clock, a man and a woman, and they saw us there. So we're on the driveway with our physically reaching out with a piece of paper, wanting to give them some literature. And most, most cars don't stop and take it. And they didn't, but they know why we're there. You know, we don't, we, we had a nice big sign that said, please don't hurt your baby. Talk to us. We can help, which is, I think one of the, it's really gentle. But without any signs, they know why you're there. You know, seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you're standing at the driveway of the abortion clinic. And they've been warned. They've been warned about, you know, they, people that go to the abortion clinic don't go there all the time. This is a one-time thing. And, and so they get warned about us. And they saw us. There were only two of us. They, they went by, you know, the parking lot stopped. They weren't there long. And then they, and then they left. And as they left, you know, they had to stop right in front of us to wait for the traffic to pull out. And you know, the woman was crying and, and they were gone for that day. And this clinic, they were there for an abortion because this clinic does all of their abortions one day a week, one morning a week. I mean, we didn't get to talk to them and we don't know anything for sure. And, and as far as our involvement, that was really simple. We were just there, but we saw strong evidence, circumstantial evidence that says seeing us there, helped remind them of, of the seriousness of what they were doing. You know, maybe even if we hadn't have been there, that would have happened. But, but our, I think our being there helped them. A, a lot of people, 40-something percent of the people that have abortions uh, in America are regular church attenders. You know, the definition of regular, I think, twice a month, you know, I think, so, something like that. So they changed with COVID-19. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Since, yeah, before COVID-19. <laughs> now, uh, now it's probably, anyway, the point is, so these people have reason to be convicted and to feel guilty. You know, a lot of our culture acts like they don't feel guilty and a lot of them don't <laughs> at all. 
but there's a giant portion of people going to the clinic that have heard enough Bible to feel guilty. And even atheists can feel guilty about this. So anyway, so there's a powerful thing working with you. This person has been in church, even if they're not born again, they've been in church and they've heard stuff, even in a liberal church, maybe they would hear stuff that would help them, maybe. But my point for such a long story is that this was really simple. They saw us, they drove in, they were convicted. She was crying when they left and that's rich. You know what I mean? But uh, a more moving, one of the more moving ones of recent times is uh, at the Charlottesville Planned Parenthood. So in, in that clinic, you know, the whole setup is designed to help them out. The COVID crisis has created opportunity by forcing the boyfriend to stay in his vehicle while he waits on her or, or to leave. And uh, they used to just go inside and sit in the waiting room. And he, he uh, felt compelled to let us talk to him. He was sitting in his truck and he kept his window down. And it was early in the morning, so it, you know, it wasn't down because he was hot. Uh, he even propped his door open to listen. To make a long story short, they, they were there three or four hours. And uh, all the circumstances told me that they didn't get an abortion. And at one point early on, he walked out to me. And we were saying, often we say, let us give you some literature, please. Something to look at while you're waiting, just to look at. You know, we try to coax them. We try to muscle them. <laughs> Anything that works, for Pete's sake. You know, they're ready to jump into the fire. It's like they're ready to jump into to the lake of fire. Maybe anything that might work is good. Uh, anyway, he came out and stood right in front of me and, and took my literature and his hands were visibly trembling, just shaking the whole time I talked to him. And all I did, and, and this was really cool because in the end, we, although we didn't talk to him and confirm that their hearts had been converted, it looked like it. You know, she came out of the clinic with a big grin and and said something to us we couldn't understand because of the noise of the traffic. I felt like she had gone back in after they debated in the pickup truck for a long time. I felt like she had gone back in to get her money back. At least for that day, they didn't get an abortion because they, they sat in the truck for an hour debating. And then she went in and came out in five or 10 minutes. There was no time for an abortion there. So odds are really good that they, they really didn't get an abortion. But this 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 guy, I mean, it was wonderful. He he just stood there and listened to me. And all I did was tell him, urged him to go to the pregnancy resource center where his girlfriend would be loved on. So at the at the abortion clinic, pregnancy resource center, they've got women trained to love on women. They don't do any of this pressure stuff. So at the uh, the, the the women at the pregnancy resource centers or pregnancy crisis center, they're trained to be non-judgmental, flat out non-judgmental, and to take the position, the attitude of, we want to be sure you understand all of your options. So they make it easy for the women to experience their visit. And what kind of resources do they have at these? Resources. Well, they have a lot of literature. They have classes, whether parenting or even support group kind of classes. 
referrals to like you know the adoption agency. Everything they give away is free. They all give away a free pregnancy test. And in Richmond, let me think. We have two. They both have sonograms. You know, free ultrasounds for anybody that uh, that needs one. But they, you know, free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, usually free STD testing for not for every STD, but the three or four most common ones. They give. Uh, they try to give everybody that's pregnant free bottle of prenatal vitamins to start right away. The biggest one in Richmond will supply uh, formula and, and diapers, like up to one year old. Will they help with the adoption process for people that decide to? The uh, yeah, they they do. You know the nuts and bolts of it. I don't know, but then you have people on the sidewalk that, depending on the situation, have chipped in financially or. You know, some of the women that work with us, there was an example from that West End Clinic where she talked the, the young lady into going with her to Chick-fil-A or some fast food place to sit down and chat. And, and they ended up having a relationship that was maintained, you know, through throughout the pregnancy. And I don't know how much financial or material supply what was supplied you know i helped give a little bit to it but you know they, they try to find out exactly what you, you know what the, the woman needs a lot of times they need stuff because they're low income like baby gear they just don't have and, you know if you go buy a bunch of new stuff it's expensive pregnancy resource centers have stuff donated to them so they may have something like a you know a baby carriage or a, a car care car seat you know just depending on what they have one of our our main men that does this has done it for over 25 years. He and his wife ran a maternity home in Petersburg for like 10 years. You know, that's how serious some of the workers are. What's a maternity home? A, a, a young, a young woman pregnant with no body to support her, you know, no husband sometimes kicked out of the house and so she's got nowhere to be pregnant nowhere to go and so the paternity home gives her room and board and sees that she gets health care till the baby's born and i think most of the babies are adopted out but doesn't have to be but you know young women a lot of them you know financially or even if they can work it's really hard it's hard yeah Helps them get them back on their feet. Yeah. Pregnancy as well. And yeah. And depending on the home, they may get good spiritual instruction. I'm sure typically they're encouraged to to be involved in a, a church body. But and in in America, in Richmond, the majority of them are are, are not dirt poor. Some of them are. We we once had a, a married couple with two children. Now a third pregnancy at the West End Clinic that, that talked to us and, and left that day without getting it. And we stayed in contact with them and got a picture of the baby the day it was born. And they were they were real excited. They got some measure of support. I, I don't know the full thing. You know, a couple of our women were had a relationship with the, with the mom and stayed in touch. And that's how we got a picture of the baby the day it was born and everything. An awful lot of people that come to 
the abortion clinic come in with luxury cars, you know, Mercedes or or whatever. So there's you know the the economic crunch. Most of the world, you know, economics is a big thing that pushes people yes. toward abortion. In America, it's economic because they don't want to give up, you know, the material style they have. But it's not because they don't have a choice. You know, they would have to do with less. You know, so in, in, in America, it's, it's that makes it even a, a greater tragedy because it it really it really doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen because the resources really are available. It's not easy to to bear a child for nine months, and it's not easy to give it up. Most women, when you suggest adoption, they say to you, I could never do that because I wouldn't know what's happening to my kid. It might be, you know, it might be being abused. And, you know, and when you confront them with, you think abortion is abuse? Some of them will admit it. We've had that conversation. I guess, I guess it is. (laughs) But the woman, the woman says that because she's, you know, she's not thinking logically you know she's in a panic and it does sound horrible to think that way but she's not being fully logical and that, that's where the pregnancy resource center comes in you know and, and when they uh sit down with a woman with no judgmentalism and let her let her talk and let her feel like they care about her they try real hard to make her feel like they care more about her than they do the baby and I think they've been trained so that it's genuine. They really, you know what I mean? They wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the baby. But they understand that this woman, if she's going to listen to you, uh, she's not going to listen if all she thinks is, you just want my baby. And what about me? It takes training, but it's not a hard thing to do. She is uh, made in the image of the mom, contemplating abortion. She she is uh, made in the image of God. She yeah, she's as valuable to God as as the baby, and and so com- learning to communicate that to her is is actually not that that hard to do. It it takes practice at first for some people, and, you know, and it's easy to lose the perspective, especially talking to men. You know, God God gave me grace, and I I don't think I ever ever blew it. You know, with the men, it's the same thing. You got to convince them that they're valuable and and God wants them to be men, brave men, take care of their baby and their woman. But it's the same challenge. And so, you know, sometimes the male counselors listening to what these guys have to say is really hard, you know, because their selfishness comes out in ways that is hard to, uh, it's hard not to react to it. <laughs> it didn't happen to, to me. A couple of years ago, I was having my teeth cleaned. You know, and in my experience, dental hygienists are usually young ladies. This one was. She's single and she's sweet as can be. So we were having small talk because it's polite and it's what you do. And it's kind of fun. She says, so, you know, what you've been doing this summer. And so I told her about the, the abortion clinic ministry. Just laid it out there it went really well you know she could have been a pro-choice she didn't uh radical or something but i laid it out there and she says you know what 
when I was uh, uh, a student at VCU, so she's probably in her 30s now. When I was a student at VCU, my roommate got pregnant. And we went to the clinic, the, you know, the oldest clinic in Richmond where, where I have hung out. They went there probably one Saturday so she could get an abortion. And uh, she was going to keep it a secret from her mom. And when she got there, she was, quote, converted because she saw the Christians on the sidewalk and it stopped her. She didn't talk to them. She didn't get any literature from, from them at all. But she was on the other side of the street and just saw them and decided to tell her mom what she was doing. She was going to just keep it a secret. And her mom never would have known. But she called her mom. Her mom was very supportive right up front. And her mom helped her and, and supported her through whatever financial resources she needed and babysitting. And the, the young lady graduated from VCU and got a job with uh, the FBI and kept her baby. She, she kept it. And all it took was for some Christians to be there. You know, that's, that's uh, most of the people that come that day for their abortion aren't going to turn away like that. Yeah, but many do, you know, exactly how many, nobody knows because they, they don't come back and tell you about it. Coming back to tell you about it, just last week, we were at Planned Parenthood in Richmond and we spent our usual two hours there, sometimes a little more in the morning on Thursdays. They, they do abortions. I had just left and my partner there was still there, had not pulled out. A lady pulls up to thank him. 30 years prior, her daughter was converted from having her abortion at, a, at an abortion clinic. And I don't know if she had the granddaughter with her. She, she gave thanks for what we were doing because somebody did it 30 years ago and her daughter didn't get an abortion. And today, this grandma, this grandma has a grandchild from her daughter. So there's two lives in her life that are precious to her. And, and she came by after 30 years, you know, to give thanks. And mo most people that are influenced by the uh, sidewalk ministry probably never come back because, you know, we're not on their things to do. <laughs> and, you know, whether she purposed to come by or just, she probably just saw us out there that day and thought, Ooh, maybe I'll stop and talk. The, the, uh, the baby that we had a picture of the day it was born, the daddy, we probably wouldn't have had that picture, but the daddy of the baby was walking by the clinic one day. It was about a month prior to the baby's birth. He wasn't looking for us. He, he lived down the street from the clinic and he was walking by and he saw two of us there. As a matter of fact, we were there at a time of the morning when we normally are not there. It was later than we usually go home by then, but we had two of us happened to be there. And so he came over and, and said, do you remember me? We had interacted with him back in January or February. And then the baby was due in September. I think we, we knew we had turned him away the day that they did not get the abortion, but we may have never confirmed, you know, the birth of the baby, except that, he happened along at just the right time. There, there's a fellow in, in Orlando that does full-time, real full-time 
ministry in front of, of one abortion clinic. It's a, it's a mill. Planned Parenthood does a little bit of other stuff. You know, their biggest money is abortions. They do a lot of other stuff that doesn't make as much money. This, this clinic is, is the traditional mill. All they do is abortions, you know, every day. They'll do anywhere from, a, you know, a dozen to three dozen in a single day, every day in Orlando. Uh, anyway, this guy there, he's, he, he posts on Facebook what happens there. And he, he'll put up a post half of the time, every other day maybe. He's had tons of stories about women that stop to thank him and showing their baby or tell him stories, you know, that go back years. The, uh, yeah, one of the campus ministers, I won't say which ministry it is, and he was pushing his baby by in a buggy and he stopped to thank us because he was, his mom was prevented from having an abortion. I can't remember his story exactly, but he, he was a baby that w- would have been aborted. And so he, he stopped and thanked us. So his life was saved by somebody like, yeah, like us. And he told more of the story of, you know, the the drama. I can't remember how it went, but he was very grateful. You know, why he doesn't come out there and join us. I I don't know. There may be a good reason, (laughs) but it's, you know, you know, and it might be because of the bad behavior of the Westboro Baptist church. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Colors all of us. That opens the door to this little idea, this little speech. Uh, an important part of what happens on the sidewall is working to reverse that impression. So most of the people that see us there that are pro-choice think that we're there in order to harass the women like Westboro does. They are there to harass people. I mean, that's their method, you know, admitted and designed and People experience harassment because we're there. But if we get a chance, we tell them, you know, we're, we're not here to give you a hard time. We're here, here to help you. We're here to love on you. We're here because God loves you and, he, and he, he's reaching out to you. You know, we, we really want to help you. We want to support you. We know it makes you upset to have us here, but we're not here to upset you. And it, my point was, if you get to talk to a passerby or whoever, and tell them those things, it changes their, you know, their whole impression of us. You know, they'll ask us, well, what do you do for these women? And and we tell them, and uh, it shifts their, you know, doesn't convert their position usually, but it changes the color of, of who we are. If they could just get a chance to dialogue a little bit, I had a, a wonderful dialogue with a woman walking into Planned Parenthood once. She's an older woman. I'm sure she's a volunteer. They, they have a lot of volunteers there. On her way in, she, she said to two of us, she says, you need to get a coat hanger and shove it up your blankety blank. And uh, she went on in and she came back later. And, you know, I said something decent to her, you know, to try to engage a little dialogue. Do you remember what she said? Yeah, she dialogued with me, and she listened to the... Do you remember what you said to her? Oh, when she came out? Yeah. No, probably something, you know, she might have even said the first word, but I'm not even sure. It's been probably maybe a year ago. I probably would have said something like, uh, you know, can I I give you a free movie? 
you know, Ray Comfort's website. It's got a, a 180 movie, which is cool. So, you know, something innocent. <laughs> Not like, well, how was it in the baby killing factory today? It wasn't anything like that. Uh, but whatever I said, you know, she began to talk to me. And, it, she, you know, she didn't start off nice. But she found out, you know, she gave questions like, you know, what do you do? You know, what do you do for them? All this stuff. And when she left me, she actually said something. I don't remember the words precisely, but she said something positive. And, you know, she liked a little bit about us. She thought we were wrong and misguided, but she she liked knowing that we actually weren't just trying to harass people. I think she believes a lot of what I said, I think. So the point is there's a great ministry. It's what America needs today is dialogue. But, you know, it's hard to find. It's hard to make it happen. But it's a good change. You know, ultimately, of course, is only going to be God. But good change, you've got to have dialogue. You've got to. And so I feel really good about that when we get to dialogue. It doesn't happen often dialoguing with a pro-choicer but we'll have young pro-choice people walk up to us thinking they're going to help straighten out our confusion you know thinking that they have something we need to hear but that actually will listen you know they they're thinking well just like me i'd like to dialogue because i want to you know they need to know the truth and they don't and the pro-choicer is thinking exactly the same thing if I can enlighten this idiot a little bit, maybe he'll go home and do something useful. <laughs> but uh, I, I saw an example down at Boulevard and Grove, a young lady that dialogued with a female. I, I think it was over an hour. I mean, they just hit it off. They enjoyed each other. But I mean, they were pro-life and pro-choice. So it does happen. Not very often, but it does. When it does happen, you, you feel really good about that. You know, yeah. if you can tell somebody the gospel and they and you feel like they're listening, they don't have to convert on the spot for you to feel mm, really good because you've given you've given them something priceless. That uh, is a perfect segue into the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about. And that is, in addition to doing outreach at these um, abortion clinics, you also do outreach on a college campus. Sounds very noble. It does. <laughs> it does. I don't, I don't feel very noble, but but tell I, tell me about that. What what is that like typically? Well, typically it's it's evolved, but typically we will use any excuse to try to start a conversation with a passing student. You know, other non-students are there. You know, I think we have no prejudice. You know, most of our opportunities are with students. So any anybody that will talk, we're we're game. You know, we love it. Uh, Dave and I typically use uh, some kind of a little gospel tract to just as a reason to physically reach reach toward them and say something, whether it's good morning or can I give you one of these or anything just to, to start the ball rolling. Uh, and if they take the track and there's no ball rolling, sometimes people get saved from tracks. It's probably statistically rare, but it really happens. Uh, so, so Dave and I will do that 
and if they're not in a hurry to class, they'll they'll stop and uh, begin to talk sometimes. Maybe just because they need somebody to talk to. And depending on our attitude, we'll, it's easy to turn it to spiritual things. So you can, can I give you this? If they stop, Jesse, another one of our partners, will say right away, every time, do you have a Christian background? And often you'll hear yes. And immediately Jesse says, so if you died today, are you confident you would go to heaven? And more often than not, there's no confidence. They'll tell you that. And so Jesse just lays out the gospel and tells them they can know whether they can, <laughs> they can have confidence in their, uh, their destiny. Yeah. So it can be that simple. And Jesse, he, he actually pastored a church for a few years. He's the best at it. David's really good at it, too, getting around to, so what's your spiritual uh, background? So you, you do this and, you know, no, I don't, I don't have a Christian background. So what is your spiritual framework or background? And, uh, you know, if they have time to stop, usually they'll, they'll tell you, you know, my family is not very religious. Or they might say, you know, I'm an, probably an atheist. And uh, the key is getting them to stop. So another way we get them to stop is having books on a table in front of us that are useful for apologetics and evangelism. And we tell them that you know, the, the books are free. You know, come help, let me help you figure out which one is the right one for you. So just this past Monday, I had a lot of I had more than one person tell me uh, I got too many books already. <laughs> Being of uh, for but, semesters, but they're talking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a you know a guy take Stephen Meyer's signature in the cell. He hmm. promised to come back in a week. And Paul, he he didn't, but maybe he'll show up. He yeah. said he would read it and come. And he was a man with a family with no religious okay. leaning at all. So the variety is wonderful. I had a woman just uh, yesterday who had a head covering. She uh, she looked like an American, African-American. You know, she didn't look Middle Eastern, but she had her head covering on. And I, don't, I didn't have any time with her at all. But because of her head covering, I did what I enjoyed doing, which is to pick up a, a Gospel of John that's written in Arabic and show her the Arabic. And and ask, do you do you read Arabic? That usually impresses Muslim women hmm. that you're giving them something in Arabic. You know, so you're thinking about them there, and many of them will take it. She didn't take it. What happened was, as as I reached for it, I knocked something off of the book table, and she bent over to get it, and, and I, actually she ended up picking it up and putting it on the table, which during which time I was doing my thing. And she said, yeah, she reads Arabic, but she didn't take it because she was in a hurry. So she was very polite to mess with my, you know, she picked it up, put it on the table. And she was going to explain to me, yeah, I read Arabic, but I think she said something about having to, you know, get to where she was going. Yeah. But the point was, that's a, a really neat way of stopping people and giving them something very powerful with no, almost no conversation. So usually I've had 
very little conversation. They'll, they'll take it. They've got the Gospel of John. And if they really read Arabic, it, it may be their heart language even. You know, a lot of Muslims can read it, and it's still not their real heart language, you know, their yeah. birth family. But it, uh, it seems to me that's exceedingly powerful. So that's fun, fun to do. So stopping them. Anything to stop them. This friend of mine gives free iced coffee away. <laughs> and that works. <laughs> They're thirsty and, and hot. Yeah. Or tired. <laughs> or tired. Yeah. For the last couple of days at VCU, all, all my tracks have had one of, one of those cards in them. I don't think that I've actually talked about it, but I did talk about it uh, yesterday. What, why was it? Somebody had gotten gotten it from us or had talked to us. Yeah. Who was it? I, I don't remember now. They mentioned they mentioned it, the, the coffee with a Christian thing. But, you know, they were in a hurry and yeah. you know, it was very brief. So, yeah, I feel like that's that's it's like you get two weapons in one launch. You know, the, the track and the, the card. I, I think that's that's exciting, actually. And normally when I hand those out, I'll just be like, free coffee? Free coffee. Dave was saying, I don't know if, if this is appropriate to say, there's a uh, a free uh, a coupon for a free cup of coffee in there. That's true. I had this one guy ask me last Friday. He's like, it's like, oh, where's this good for? And I was like, wherever. We'll meet you. Yeah. At so maybe Dave coffee. heard you say that or something. Anyway, yeah, he picked up that <laughs> free coffee coupon. It seems like both ministries are valuable in different ways. Yeah, they are. They are, and there's different, some different kinds of enjoyment, and some that are the same. Are any of them just downright unpleasant, but rewarding regardless? Yeah. So the the number of what you would call unpleasant interactions on the campus are few, but they happen. Almost any of them, you can look at them and think that that's a good thing. God's going to use that for good. So I'm thinking on maybe once a year, somebody wants to harass us, but we're not valuable enough for them to do much except to say something ugly as they go by. I haven't personally had anybody stay there and just try to harass. They may say something really ugly or accusatory or condemning as they pass by. And the good part of that is, you know, why are they bothering? What's working in their life? You think, you know, what is God doing in that life? And then the people that hear it, I think we win points from most people when they hear, see that happen. People like the underdog and people see that that person's being a jerk. Maybe they identify with the person. So that, uh, you know, that's an unpleasantry that's brief. What about at the abortion clinic? At the abortion clinic, uh, you know, the unpleasantries are every day. Some days not as bad as others, like, the you know, the number of, single finger gestures that you get, you know, you, you get a number of them every day as people drive by. People walking by that feel very negative don't often do that. Have I ever had that by a walker by? You get yelled at by driving by types and occasionally by a walking by person. Ugly, you know, ugly, unreasonable uh, words. But uh, yeah, the drive-bys shouting at you um, Jesse had a, a, a person in a car that wasn't even at the abortion clinic. Physically they were, but they were waiting on somebody in a different clinic. They were shouting at him. They were angry. 
Yeah, for somebody like that, I don't know. Maybe they get to hear something we say that God could use, maybe. We get interviewed by the police occasionally. I think people going into the clinic complain about us, and sometimes the police get called. Sometimes a neighbor, somebody totally unconnected with the clinic, will call the police You know, because they know what we're doing and they hate us, and they try to think of some reason to call. And the police have been very, very good. They, they really have. They, you know, they'll come and talk to us. I haven't perceived harassment in my half a dozen years on the sidewalk, and I'm grateful. You know, when, when they're there, we're probably safer than when they're not. And there, there are some stories associated with the police where they have showed up because somebody called them, and they showed up just in time to actually help us out. <laughs> at least, I think at least two, maybe three occasions with uh, little Denny. He's got big signs that are like four feet high and three feet wide about big sandwich board and people if they can they they love to grab a sign you know and steal it and that's happened that's happened to him i don't know how many times one one time a woman she saw denny on the other side of the clinic so she calls the police and told them this guy was trying to climb into the abortion clinic over the fence <laughs> which he wasn't but the police have to show up and he showed up just as some young woman was trying to steal one of her signs. He ended up actually having to chase her down. So the, the sign was far away from us. And we re realized what she was doing. The policeman was about to leave us. He had told us about the complaint. You know, it was routine and he didn't have any problem with us. And, but he had to do his job and he was ready to leave. And, and she was stealing the sign 30 yards away. We banged on his trunk so that he would stop, not leave us. And she came out and he got out of his car and he signaled to her to pull over. And she took off and left. <laughs> and so he got in his car. And I, I think that the sign was eventually retrieved. But it was just coincidence, so-called coincidence, that he was there. Oh, no. And a similar story happened with another policeman. Uh, I think there's a couple of other stories like that. So hmm. the the police were there and I've been threatened uh, two or three times. I feel like God has made me feel not terrified, you know, concerned. <laughs> and, and so it's neat. The, the positive thing about it is God showed up and let me stand my ground and, and, or be wise and, you know, not do anything stupid and not clear out in fear. Just take them at their word and just, you know, they just want you to leave, get out of here, not do that. You know, that doesn't mean that the, on the negative side, back at VCU, there, there was an incident that was, I think, to me, really interesting. It was during maybe our first year there. We were giving out a ton of tracks. I gave out some uh, to a, a young lady and she took it just because we were giving it out. She didn't realize what it was. And it was a really short interval, and she came back to me. You know, she was young, probably a freshman. She might have been a sophomore. She was polite, but she handed it to me, and she said, I, I don't want God in my life. She, she had ripped it in half, and actually she gave me back two. One of them was ripped in half, and one wasn't. I think her friend had one, too. But... We did not have a conversation. She told me, I don't want God in my life. And I took her thing and I said something. 
I don't remember what I said. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a, a comeback. I, I tried to say something helpful, but I don't know what it was. And she left. The more I thought about it, the more I thought that was really neat. You know, you know, she she knows. I, I thought to myself, I imagine she knows God is chasing her. She's fighting. I don't know what she knows about God, but <laughs> it was so important. It was important enough for her to come back and tell, give me this stuff. You know, why didn't she just throw it in the trash can? She needed to tell somebody that she didn't want God. You know, on the one hand, that could be really good. She's fighting at least, <laughs> young people. And that gives me compassion for them because I was once 18 years old, you know, and I wanted to be cool. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what life was about. And that's where they are. They have no idea. Some of them are there to figure out who they are. And some of them are there because they are, I know, it's almost like a, a carnival for... It's a vacation. Yeah. I've, I've, I heard somebody refer to their own experience at college, you know, it was a vacation. I never would have called it that, but I get what they mean, especially bright people. They can have a lot of fun at college. They have time to pass their courses and spend their real energies having fun. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. <laughs> it's the American way. All the middle-class kids go to college. I had no idea what I was going to do with my college. So, yeah, so the, yeah, that picture of these, these guys are, you know what I mean? They need help. Nobody came along to help me when I was a freshman in college. You know, if they had, I would have pushed them away anyway, I think. But so I feel I feel really good about that. You know, some kids are are hungry for a conversation. There's a lot of them, you know, they're outgoing. So they're easy because they, you know, they're not afraid to talk with us. But there, there are kids that, that have walked by us for months and months and then finally decide to check us out. You know, the need to have somebody with a, maybe a little wisdom. I mean, they're not looking for wisdom maybe, but they're looking for somebody to talk to. A good thing about our position is we're, we're not selling anything, you know, but Jesus. You know, no strings attached. You know, whether about six of us, every one of us goes to a different church. We're not trying to get anybody into the church to bolster our attendance. We, we do want to encourage them to be part of a, a body, but when we don't sell anything, that makes it even more fun. That helps disarm them. It's like the ulterior motive is worn on our sleeves. We want you to know God. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if something happens, that's going to impact eternity. You know, so much that happens in life will not, arguably will not, you know, whether you get to make, finally make a million dollars or whether you achieve whatever professional status, that could be, it is part of God's plan. But the idea of God using your little involvement to get somebody to that place where their where their eternities changed, I think it's plain in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul said to the Christians, "You are my my joy and crown." And I'm thinking that's neat. You know how much how much God does through through these uh, 
outreach efforts, I, I don't have a clue. I, I'm sure I'm going to be surprised on both sides. Hmm. Stuff that I thought was, you know, maybe good didn't didn't uh, produce anything. But but I'm sure God is at work where where we don't don't realize it. Now you are retired, so have you had any worries about COVID nineteen for your own health personally in doing all this outreach? In the outreach, I feel safe. You know, being outside in the mm. wind, etc. Uh, in the beginning at the abortion clinic, I would have gloves on and I would have my mask and I, I wore it some of the time and I was thinking, I'll see if people feel like they need to, to see these devices. Pretty quickly, I decided that uh, it didn't really make any difference or much difference, you know. Well, I was just curious as to how that has deterred you or how you adjusted your resolve to kind of yeah i don't know how did how does the risk acceptance and risk mitigation process work for you with that so we've done vcu now a half a dozen times and at the uh at the abortion clinics you know, i gave up the mask and the gloves you know in the beginning of the crisis I was very aware of it and concerned, you know, to, you know, I don't want my behavior to, I guess people going by you in, in their car or whatever, they don't feel threatened. Most of them. Yeah. Well, most of them zip by you anyway and don't, don't interact. In the beginning, that was worrisome. Well, yeah, we were trying to figure out, like, there wasn't a whole lot of data, right? Yeah. Yeah. Quarantining, anything you're brought into your house from yeah. the store. At first, I tried to be careful with that. But I mean, it's kind of like you, you've got to figure, so what's my exposure? What am I sacrificing? You, you, you don't want to be risk-free because that means that's all your life is. You're Howard Keep, Hughes living inside a... Exactly. You know. So there's a, there is a balance. Every American has to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least for now. There are those that want to figure it out for us. You know, it's good. Another thing about, about outreach that's good is having new people or trying new things, but having new people helps that happen. And when you get a new person, they, you know, they have a, a they have a new perspective and, and they're going to suggest things, you know, that are different. Yeah. And, and, and trying new things, even little things is, uh, is uh, really really important like there are little teeny things that sometimes can make big differences and you don't know unless you try them and you get encouraged to try something a little different by you know like your coffee with the christian ministry you know that's a pretty straightforward idea there's a lot of different ways to do it though right yeah so. yeah and in just the you know the approach the personality approach or the mechanics of the approach on the sidewalk where, wherever it is you know it's peculiar to everybody that does it and you're likely to learn something useful from somebody different than yourself here's another one is one one of what i consider one of my big items in the category even you know vcu abortion clinic is trying to I call it suck other Christians into trying out some of this stuff. Uh. <laughs> Which is, is interesting. You know, people at my church, yep. 
it's really hard. Oh yeah. And and I purpose to be very very gentle, and I think I'm being non pushy. You know, I try to tell them what happens to make them interested, and then I try to say, you know, you, you can check it out. I can be there with you, and you can just see what happens, and you don't have to do anything. I try never to say anything like you ought to do it by implication. That's what I'm saying, and they know it. But you know the what I call the upfront Baptist, you know, yeah, push them, guilt them. I'll, I'll guilt them jokingly sometimes, but usually it's just here's something neat that happened. I think you and I have have slightly different approaches on that. On that, so what's your? <laughs> how do you suck them in? Oh, I mean, I'm I don't I wouldn't say I'm very very successful at it, but you no, know, I'm I, not either. I'm I, not successful. <laughs> I have to confess. I, I I think that it's it's hard, really hard to get people to to get out there and share their faith. It is. It is. And and I I don't know if you want a volunteer that that is half hearted has, has been guilted into it. Right. Right. Well, I don't. I don't. Because they're like, you I know, don't think I'm guilty. Like, like I'm, I try not to be a. So, so I call it a bad. But I'm, I'm torn on this too, though, because it's like, at the on the one hand, I don't want a useless volunteer out there who is. They won't there. come back. That's no yeah. danger. Yeah. Forget that danger. So if they're useless, they're going to quit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. But the other half of me is kind of like, you know, if if I can stop a murder, well, because by making somebody feel guilty. Right, like don't do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. If if yeah. all it takes for me to stop you from doing the bad thing is to make you feel guilty, yeah, I want you to feel terrible. I don't. I enough. To, not only do I not care about your feelings, I actually negatively feel about your feelings. Like I want you to feel awful. Yeah, if that's what it's awful as for it you, takes to do right. the right thing. That's right. So it's kind of like because guilt does have a job. I feel it like does. It guilt does. has a bad rap. And and God. Guilts them. He guilts them for me. <laughs> Sometimes people feel guilty because they're doing the wrong thing, and they should feel guilty. Like mm-hmm. I heard this great analogy about guilt a while ago. Guilt is like a terrible plumber. Terrible what? Plumber. Plumber. So imagine this: you've got a leaky faucet, and so you call the plumber, and he comes in. And he fixes the faucet. Mm-hmm. But then instead of leaving, he sits down on the couch and puts his feet up and says, what's for dinner? It's like, nothing, man. Get out. Like, you did your job. Like, it's time to go. And guilt is kind of like that. You feel bad about the thing. So guilt comes in and it, it motivates you to do the thing. Yeah. Right? Or the change or whatever. Then the guilt doesn't go away. It just kind of hangs out there and, like, stares at you. And you're like... What are you doing here, man? Like, we're done. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> but I feel like a lot of people, you know, they've, they've had, you know, guilt hanging out on their couch for a while. Yeah. And so they never want guilt ever again. But their faucet is still leaking. Guilt hasn't fixed the sink and guilt is just kind of hanging out on the couch now at this point. And so it's like. So what do you do about it? I don't know. Maybe more guilt. I. <laughs> well, well. You know, a, a word of wisdom to you and I who want to, we want to encourage them. We want to encourage them to, to share their faith, to live out their faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what, how do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah. It's good for us 
to remind ourselves that if they get burdened by guilt, maybe you said this already, it's, it's not our fault. I'm not going to say to them, you know what the Bible says you ought to be doing. How come you're not doing it? I'm here to help you do it. You want to get rid of that guilt? <laughs> I wouldn't work like that. Maybe it's my own, you know, I don't want them to not like me. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's why. So initially, I, I wrestled with this idea of how do I get people out there to share their faith? Yeah. And talking to people, you know, there's a lot of excuses. It doesn't work on my calendar. Yeah. I'm you, busy on Friday night, inconvenient. Yeah. Now where am I going to find a sitter? That kind of stuff. Like very logistical, practical yeah. things. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, we can design an app and lower the bar to entry. So mm -hmm. it'll only match you with warm leads. It'll match you with people of the same gender. Mm -hmm. It can work around your schedule. It'll match you, you know, all these things. Yeah. Right. So I, that's brilliant. The, the, the technology it. will manage all the logistics. And so now the rubber meets the road where it's like people now have no excuse mm -hmm. for not getting out there to share their faith because... Oh, it's too far. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm asking you to do two block radius of your own house. Like that's, it's literally walking distance. What are you talking about? Or, yeah, you know, um, it doesn't work with my schedule. It's like this literally will build itself around your schedule. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that's not a valid excuse anymore. Right. right? I, I don't know enough. It's so like, you're well, pretty mean actually. Well, how about, <laughs> you know, there, there's all, all this online trading, right. And you know, you know, more than, the people that are asking to know more about God. Mm -hmm. It's too much work. It's like, all you have to do is click share on Facebook. It's literally the least amount of work that you could do. And it's still hard to get people to do it. And so I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think we can make it any easier. Yeah. I don't see how, I don't know. I love that phrase impacting eternity. You know, they can quickly come up with a lot of defenses, a lot of rationalizations, but for me, I want to impact eternity. You know, when you get this old, it's easy to see how you know nothing's going to matter. Nothing's going to matter. It's just not going to matter. It's just the, your relationship with God. That's it. That's, and, and other people's relationship and, with and God. And that stuff is going to echo forever, yep. ever and ever. Those, that is going to be, I mean, not that I understand all about it. I, I, I'm very pointed and saying a few things at, at our small group, you know, that meets once a week. We've been meeting again now for over a month in the same routine, trying to say something that's interesting, like what happened. And I had a, a young lady that was, I don't know how I got started on it, but she was interested. She asked some stuff about, was it VCU or the, it must've been VCU or was it the clinic stuff? I don't remember now. But I, she was interested and I, and I told her that, you know, the same thing I said, we could go on a Saturday, you know, I'm retired. I can go anytime. The best time is classes five days, but on a Saturday there, there's traffic. Mm. Of course now it's kind of puny, but yeah, but you could still, you, you'll encounter somebody. Yeah. You know, and, and for a beginner that wants non-threatening situation, maybe that's even Anyway, that was just last week. 
You know, I'm not going to jump on her and say, well, you've been thinking about it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, the church will do some stuff that's super safe, you know. But, that, you know, when, 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 it, when the message comes from the pulpit, that makes all the difference in the world. So we've been, we've been going to this church for two and a half years. But early on, we had, we had a social event kind of thing. And I got his ear and I told him about my, you know, the three biggies feeding the homeless and VCU and abortion clinics. You know, I gave him a synopsis and a, a little bit of stories there. I don't know exactly what I said to him, but he listened. And at the end of our, it was a short conversation. He said, I'd like to come try that or come check it out. The VCU thing, mm-hmm. you know, let's trade contact information. So we did. I think it took him, I may, I may be wrong, it was a long time before he contacted me. Yeah. I, I didn't bug him about it, but he finally did to find out, you know, the times because he wanted to do it. And he came down, this was, you know, when we had the full student body, he came, came down to Schaefer and, and Franklin. So he was going to be there. So I went that day and I'm glad I did. Uh, and he hung out the whole time with us. It was busy and it was, you know, some days it's good. Every, you know, a lot happens. That was one of those days, you know, all of us had a lot of conversations. I could see him talking, you know, to young men. And and I had asked him, I said, you know, have you ever done that, you know, on campus stuff? He said, no. You know, what he has done on the street, I have no idea. You know, it was a sh- short conversation, but he had never been to a college campus to do this. And at the end of the day, the end of the two hours, of course, we were hoping he'd go to lunch with us. You know, he had another appointment, but he said, uh, you know, kind of looking at our book table, he said, yeah, we, we'd like to support this financially. You know, he could see that what was happening was good. And he, he liked our books, but, you know, for the most part, approved of them. He, you know, he was familiar with most of our authors. And uh, but that was what now that was a year and a half ago. No, more than a year. <laughs> we'll say a year and a, a year and a half ago. I, you know, his compliment when he said, "We'd like to support this financially." I didn't. I never. I could pursue that. You know, yeah. what did you mean by that? I thought to myself, "I, I really don't want to be." I'm not, you're not really. It's not the finances. No, it's not the fine. You know, I'm retired. You know, I don't have a lavish lifestyle. I've got enough money. I can buy my books. You know, we're happy to get a good old fashioned book that you can get used, like. Case for Christ, yeah. or or a bunch of them. Not not all of our books are, are easy. As far as outreach goes, the problem isn't cash. The problem That's, is bodies, is souls. So how about you support us with your people? Yeah, his job is hard. You know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being critical. You know, he's got a bunch of young families. You know, the church is full of pregnant women and families with little kids. You know, there's a few teenagers. But he, and he, he's got small children, and so he understands exactly what everybody's dealing with, and he's trying to be wise. And the reality is that, like, a church that doesn't do outreach is not going to grow. That's yeah, right. They can have yeah. as many kids as they want, but those kids, in all likelihood, are going to grow up and move somewhere else and do and do their own thing. And they're not going to go to that church. That's right. That's right. And they they talk the talk. You know, when those times come about who we are, 
We want to win Richmond to Christ. They How? probably have used those words. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the thing, you know, my church that I left three years ago. We're going to win Powhatan County to Christ. How? You know, I was there for eight years. There, there was no heart in it. That was lip service. It's not that they did nothing, but it was lip service. So, you know, so here I am, the righteous one, doing the right thing. You know, I, well, I just had to do what I did. I had to leave that place and go do something. One of the first things I, we did, we heard a brand new church plant downtown, inner city. And we were there for the first service. Its target was a Gilpin Court. Those were the poor people, by and large, poor inner city. And my wife was already involved, but it, you know, it folded up after five months. But God used that. It really was a God thing. It was due to that that we got connected with Gilpin Court. You know, my wife's tutoring there, and our connection with the homeless. I, I would say that the main the main thing is that um, how how do we get how do we get people out there? How do we get people? I mean, there's a there's a good verse in the Bible that's. You know, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Worker, yeah. To send workers out into I, the field. You know, I, that's something that, that I've been praying for. I'm sure it sounds like it's something you're praying for as well. I, I, I wish I could find a church that was was about that too. Was about it, yeah. There, You know, there's surprises cooking. I had a brief conversation with our pastor about abortion and my involvement there. And it was, you know, very limited, but he learned the basics about my relationship there and the importance to me. And his, he and his wife and their children came over to have dinner with us. This was the church's way of vetting us. You can join, but, you know, we want to hear your testimony. It was a great evening. We did all that, but part of it, I laid out, you know, the abortion thing. And I, I was very gentle. You know, I, I, I tend to, you know, I tend to get overly zealous and overly excited about controversial stuff. Uh, but, I, but I was really good. And when it came up, it was a brief discussion. But the point is, he knew he knew where I was coming from. And, you know, and his in the discussion, uh, I think I brought up the question of, uh, you know, what what what? What's the best way to deal with it in the in the church, our church? And frankly, I didn't say it, but frankly, I believe the preacher needs to talk about it from the pulpit. In our previous church, there was one sermon in eight years, and it was excellent. It was really good. It covered everything. And, but it was one sermon in eight years. You know, if this issue is as big as I think it is, it needs to be cultivated. The pulpit needs to, to, to remind the people in order to stir up their... The, the point is that, that was put on the table, and his wife obviously knew close relations that had had abortions. And, and she's very sensitive, rightly. You know, people in the congregation that have had abortions, you know, this is really misery for them to have to listen to. And, and I remember offering on my own Maybe the best way to deal with it is, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we didn't have a debate or discussion, but it was like, you know, we all know 
the truth about abortion, and we all know that you know the church needs to be uh, trained up in understanding this. And and then what happened is that that conversation over a year later, he he recently did a sermon on abortion that was awesome. I, I think what I was kind of more driving at isn't isn't specifically <laughs> getting pastors to talk about outreach in general. Yeah. Right. What scares me is it's like, we'll send people halfway around the world <laughs> before we'll send them across the street. Yeah. But, but yeah. even when I thought about how we were doing short-term missions trips to spread the gospel, I would say the main conviction came from the fact that it's like, why is this the only time that I'm out there yeah. trying to spread the gospel? Yeah. Being a brave preacher when America is arguably less Christian. Yeah. So, yeah. To that end, I, I'm kind of still trying to figure out how we can get churches in the United States to do more local outreach, right? How yeah. do we facilitate that? How do we make that yeah. easier? How do we get them to want to do it yeah. in the first place? You know, giving books that are powerful to Christians on campus is a big of you know what we do on BCU, yeah. You know, they you know for encouragement, inspiration, whatever. I, I feel like we're we're really valuable to to the Christians that we interact with there. The idea of giving out Christian books to young freshman Christian Christians or yeah, in that developmental phase of life, yeah, can give them the tools they need to defend their faith yeah. and dig deeper into their faith and grow in their relationship with God. Tool, tools, really, and encouragement, inspiration, you know, and just meeting us. Not that we're fancy, but, it, you know, it reminds, reminds them yeah. that they're older Christians that care about them and are interested in them. And, you I mean, know. if the faith is real, why aren't there plenty of older, mature souls down there in the midst of this sea of, you know what, trying trying to support, trying to encourage the poor little freshmen that come there unprepared to deal with the attacks that come against them. I think this is one of Billy Graham's actual greatest regrets. He wrote about this. Really? Where he talked about how they did an excellent job with the outreach, initial outreach, yeah. But he felt that he had failed in the follow-up. That's right. So this, the church has the capacity to follow their kids to 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 the university. You know, not one-on-one specific, but it's it's like the church has the capacity to have somebody on the sidewalk any hour that any abortion clinic is open without straining anybody. You know, if they had people committed that would sign up for, you know, a small little slot once a month. You've heard it in church. Our young people, the majority of them, are leaving the church when they go to university. So why don't we go there and get them? (laughs) Just like at the abortion clinic. The babies are being slaughtered. Well, go say something. You know where the clinic is. You know where you can go and speak into it. And you can go to VCU or wherever and try to rescue some, try to preserve some. Try to help some. Yeah. I, we, we have the manpower, don't we? we in and theory. In theory. In theory. You know. On paper, we ha- we've got what it takes. 
when I think about it, like right now, I'm, it's very exciting, hmm. you know, because of, of what we have heard from young Christians. I was brought up in the church, and we went to church every Sunday, and I love church, and I learned the doctrines. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think I was born again because I couldn't pick up a Bible and tell you, you know, what I believed from the Bible. But I knew what we believed. But I was brainwashed my first term there. You know, if there had been somebody like me or you there on the street, would it have made a difference? I, I don't know. But, you know, I didn't run into anybody. You know, to remind me, I had a roommate that was a Christian that I I used to give him the hardest time. Used to hurt, you know, ridiculing. That that was my second year there. I remember that. I don't know if I did that the first year. Probably not. But yeah, the the need there for supporting our our eighteen year old Christian people on campus. Good gravy. We do have all these campus ministries. Well, like in the Presbyterian Church, you know, RUF, they, which is is really good, but I think what happens with it, by and large, is the kids that are involved in it are kids brought up in the church, and they're kind of protected during their college career in that little world there. There's tons of groups. You know, they have Chi Alpha. Yeah. And, you know, what, what I have seen, you know, they'll have... They have little functions, you know, they'll go in the middle of the compass and, you know, have a big sign and be giving away free hugs. Huh. That's fun. That's good. And the colleges can be really weird, too. I remember, were you there when we had that campus security person kind of come by and, like, grab a tract and, like, they read it and then they, like, walked away? Have you ever seen their little tours? 12, sometimes 36 people. No, I don't think they're doing them anymore. Yeah, I haven't seen any lately. But during the year, you know, it's a Not regular thing. Year. Yeah. <laughs> they'll have, you know, they'll have a young upperclassman leading the tour. And uh, they're just, it's a physical tour of the campus. And the tour guide is, you know, continually talking. And uh, at Floyd and whatever that is, Laurel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Where we are. Um, the light was red, so they had to stop. And and about half of the time, as we give tracks to everybody, if we, we try to, uh, you know, the leader will say something to us, you know, basically leave my people alone, you know, back off. <laughs> and some of them are polite, and some of them are, but it's obviously that, they're instructed to protect their people from people like us. Dangerous. And uh, when they tell us to stop, I always stop. So this day I was told to stop and I stopped, but they were stuck. And so I looked over at the parents and I said, VCU hates free speech. <laughs> it was five minutes and I had three policemen standing in front of me, interrogating me. I swear, you know, she took her little smartphone and she told them there was, there was a problem down here. <laughs> but it worked out really good. I mean, that, that kind of proves the point. It does. So you said VCU hates free speech, and then five minutes later, the police. three police officers are <laughs> we comrade. We do not say those words. 
<laughs> I had two, a young male and a young female, and yeah. I had a, an older man who never said a word. He stood there, must have been, you know, higher up, and he was watching over their business. And most of the com- the conversation was just me and the young man policeman. Dave was there, standing there during the whole thing, and I, I had my little what is of late my favorite little track yeah. comic book in my hand. And uh, he told me what she said to him. She, she, uh, she even said we were selling books that had something bad in them. I, f- I forget his words. Uh, and we, of course we don't, we told, I told him, I said, we, we don't sell anything. She said, she said that I called them terrorists. Which, you know, I guess you hate free speech. You know, uh, that's kind of a... (laughs) That's not... It's not illegal to say that kind of... Like, even then... even Well, yeah. And uh, he listened to me really well. I said... I I didn't tell him that I had said that, those words. But he didn't ask me. You know, did you say... he, he, He told me, she said you, you know... This, these books are bad, blah, blah, you're selling these books, and you said they're terrorists, and one thing and another, and everything she said was a lie. And I said, we're out here, we're trying to be nice to people. We're trying to sell people Jesus. You know, we're not mean to people. And I gave, and he took the track, and he read the whole track while I was rambling on, and he finished it, and he looked at his female partner, and he says, I don't see any problem here. <laughs> and they left. So we, we didn't even get chastised, but we got interrogated, arguably, by three policemen immediately upon. <laughs> yeah. So what was the point there? Well, you, you said that some, some was it campus police that came? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, there was a, uh, they showed up. I think they have like a Safe Spaces app now. So when they see us, they tell it yeah. that there's danger? They, they they put out like a trigger warning for the area or something like that. Yeah. And so then they people, came to check on you? So that people can avoid us. Yeah. You know, just to make sure we weren't doing anything illegal. Yeah. And it's because somebody was like, oh, these guys are doing something wrong. You know, so they came physically to check on you. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the only time that we've been checked on. We used to hang out at, at the compass in front of the library. The lawyer that had this book that used to come and hang out with us, just doing tracks. He he saw Dave give a track to the president. And uh, it was a few minutes before we had two suited, a male and a female administrative officials telling us that, you know, we weren't allowed to do that on campus. Those are the only two times we've been, uh, no, we, I've, ha- I've had a couple of policemen. One of them was real polite. And just warned us about the vendors. I think they pay money to get a permit, you know, so we, we've got to give them priority. And then we ha- I did have one that was kind of grumpy. He said, do you have permission to do this? You know, who, who? and I told that the, because Dave has done campuses before and knows about the trouble. Uh, he and I, our first trip down there, we went into that uh, building where the food court is, student commons maybe. There's some offices in there, and we spoke to what I think were nothing but students, but it was some office of, and Dave asked them, he said, do, do y'all have a 
uh, free speech area. I think they said no, and but they told us specifically we could set up on the public sidewalk. That was before we ever got even kicked off and uh, literally set up on the public sidewalk. Hmm. So I was able to tell the policeman, yeah, yeah, they, you know, they told us we could set up here. He obviously didn't know the rules. I don't know if he was BCU police. Campus police, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. He should have known those kind of, maybe uh, he was new on the job. I don't, yeah, he was an older guy. I don't know how much training they get. Yeah, I don't think they get. Especially when it comes to like, where are people allowed to set up for out, you know, like. Or, or free, free speech. Yeah. I don't know. Lawyers would argue about that. I mean, you want a police officer to figure that out? It's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but he, he seemed to take my word because I, I was telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. we we talked to him about it, and they said we could set up here. But uh, Next time, bring a recorder, get the person's name. Like Janice. <laughs> Janice, that'd be good. Yeah. So, the, you know, each outreach is good, and there are kind of subcategories in the outreach, like, at the abortion clinic, talking to just pro-life people there. But the sucking Christians into outreach, you know, if I feel any success in that, it's a tremendous payoff. In, in the church that we left, I had, uh, I had one family that did two, I think only, two evangelistic things at VCU. And they came to uh, one of the races, and they came twice to to an abortion clinic. No, oh. it was because their the first time they came, this, their little girl was ten years old, oh. and, and she she was the the rock in the shoe. She kept bugging them. She bugged her dad for a year before he finally brought her to VCU, and he he enjoyed it. It was it was wonderful. So she's a little ten or eleven year old girl. Everybody took her tract, and she felt so good about it. Oh, good for her. <laughs> I mean, you know, who's going to say no to a little, a sweet little girl? And her sister, who was shy, stood way back, older sister. But she gave out some tracts, too. I'd, lo <laughs> I'd love to see the administrators yell at the 11-year-old uh, girl. girl. Yeah, this was before he encountered us. Oh. But I felt so good. I feel so good about that family. Uh, I mean, that that was priceless in the life of their children. Mm. And and uh, and God was good. But we went to D.C. on, on the uh, Day of Reason, the oh. atheist thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. So we, we did get some extra people out to the abortion clinics over a very short, in, in my old Presbyterian church, my eight-year church, just for a very short time. I can't remember how many. You know, it was just a burst of people Yeah, did stuff. There was inspiration. but And if it had been supported from the pulpit, I think it probably would not have died. But it, it died. Well, not only that, but it's like meaningful change has to be sustained in incremental phrases over a long period of time. Yeah. If a church really wants to commit itself to doing outreach, yeah, you know, it can't be like there's just this like, bam, we're gonna do evangelism and it's gonna, yeah, you know, like carry itself. And it'll carry itself. It's like no, you got to be like, you gotta have a plan. We're gonna show up every week. Yeah, commitment. Right? 
It doesn't have to be a lot of people. But once a month even. Yeah, we're going to show up once a month, every month, no matter what. It's raining, show up. Snowing, show up. If I don't want to go, show up. And we we do that at the the abortion clinics, rain or shine. Because, you know, bad weather gets you points. Yeah. People stop their car at least. Really? Yeah. That's, I guess it's that pity where you're like, pity. Yeah, uh, look at this poor guy. I've told this rain. story a hundred times. Or make, maybe it makes it more satisfying to yell at you. Because not only are you wet well, and cold. Here, here's an example. But now you can get insulted too. Did I tell you about the time <laughs> I spent one hour at Planned Parenthood all, all alone in yeah. the rain, heavy rain? Oh, the back man. of my pants got soaking wet. Oh. I didn't tell you about that. Uh-uh. So, you know, it's usually two hours. I did one hour because, I mean, it was windy, rainy, umbrella. The back of my pants were sopping wet. And typically at, at Planned Parenthood, a good day is six, you know, cars or people in two hours. Yeah. In one hour, I gave away 12. And I'm convinced it was because they felt sorry for me standing out there in the rain. They thought, or at least I got attention. Yeah. There, there was one point when three cars in a row, you know, one right after they, they saw that car get something, but so they stopped with three. <laughs> and cold, cold. I think 40 days for life, the, uh, you know, the yeah. Catholic thing. They, I think they moved they, twice a year, they moved their uh, spring or winter one back into the winter because, mm-hmm. you know, the severe weather, it actually, actually helps. You know, it's hard on. Part of the volunteers. Volunteers, but but it helps. It it, it adds an exclamation point to why are you out here in the we really care. Right? Yeah, yeah. It tells them. Any more questions? Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> Today's Tuesday. This is Tuesday. So a week from today, I'm meeting my three Mormons again. Oh. So that came from, you know, VCU. Yep. Yep. They put me in their database and bugged me until I They'll bug you until you convert one of them. Then they'll leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, it went well. It went well. I, you know, I, All right. But we'll see. Well, thanks for making time to chat this afternoon. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm full of words. So. Not anymore. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. Wow. That was a marathon. I don't have anything to add to this conversation, but thanks for joining me today in this little social experiment continue the conversation, check out our app and connect with one of our volunteers, or invite someone in your circle of friends to have a God-centered discussion, and subscribe to the podcast, which should continue rolling out episodes each month. If you like what you heard, please be sure to give us a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps people find the show. As a bonus, I'll read a shout out to you in the next episode. And finally, if you're able to, please consider supporting this ministry financially. Until the end of October, we have a special matching opportunity where all donations can be triple matched up to $2,500. So check out the donate page on our website and prayerfully consider adding this ministry to your end of year giving. Coffee with a Christian is a registered 501c3, so all donations are tax deductible. Thanks again for checking us out. May God bless you and Christ be praised.